Turn with me to James chapter number 1. James chapter number 1. James chapter number 1. We're going to begin in verse number 1. I want to read down through verse 12. I don't think by any means we'll get down to verse 12, but we're going to read down to there anyway uh, to start off with this morning. James, the servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect. An entire wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Now James here uh, writes a remarkable letter for us, and he is writing uh, to the scattered Jewish Christians that were scattered from Jerusalem, much like Paul's book of the Hebrews there and Peter's book as well, Peter's letter, these are written to those that were scattered from Israel that were find themselves in the uttermost parts of the world as they are scattered from Jerusalem because of the persecution that came against them. And James is focusing a great deal on our faith and the works that faith produces. And because he is focusing on the works that faith produces, there are many that say, well, James is preaching a different gospel than what Paul preached. And that's not the case at all. That's not what James... James is not saying works saves us by no means. But he does say that if we truly have faith, if we truly have salvation in Christ Jesus, works are going to follow that. Because we have a living faith. And that's what he gets into more in chapter number 2. As he describes that faith that we have, we have a living faith. And that living faith can't help but produce works. If there's not works being produced in us, if we are not producing fruit for the Lord Jesus, then the faith that we have is a dead faith. And it's not real. A dead faith's not real. 
And so this is all James is describing here, is that if, if we truly have faith, then there's going to be something that backs it up in us. There's going to be proof of that in us. And so James writes a remarkable letter here. And he, he just begins here in this passage by describing here uh, tribulations, temptations, troubles that come in our lives. And he is encouraging these folks, particularly those that are scattered because of persecution, he is encouraging them in their faith in the Lord Jesus, trusting Him, following Him as they continue forward. And I want you to see some of these things that James makes mention of. Now, the remarkable part to me is who James is. And how he describes himself in verse number 1. James is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. He's the half-brother, as is Jude. And Jude's on over there a few few more books. Right before the book of the Revelation, you have the book of Jude. These two guys were the half-brothers of Jesus. And James, in his opening remarks here, in this letter, he doesn't make mention of that at all. You know, if I was James, I think I'd be saying that a little bit more, wouldn't you? Oh, I, geez, he's my half-brother. <laughs> That'd be the way we would do it, right? But this, this is not how the Lord recorded it for us in His Word. Instead, what we have here concerning James, in James' view of the Lord Jesus, this is how James puts it. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how James sees himself, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. James had a full understanding of who Christ Jesus was and who He is, I should say. He had a full understanding there as he writes this letter here of who Christ Jesus was. Another thing that stands out there in verse number 1 is he's writing here, he says, to the the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. To the twelve tribes. Now, according to history, according to many people that that write concerning uh, the, the history of Israel and the history of the Jews, is that after the, the, the northern tribes, after they were carried off into captivity, we've lost record of them that there are ten tribes of Israel lost to the world. And we don't, we don't know where they're at. They're, they're, they were scattered, they were intermarried into the, the nations around them, and so we've lost, they, they say, we've lost these ten tribes of Israel. The ones we know for sure or Judah and Benjamin, those were taken in the southern kingdom, those were taken into captivity in Babylon, and they come out of Babylon captivity, and they're the only ones that remain fully intact of, of those, those tribes. But this is not how James writes his letter. James writes to the twelve tribes. To the twelve tribes. In other words, they're not lost. We may not necessarily know where they're at, and, and maybe maybe even the Jews themselves may not know where they're at, but God knows where they're at. And He knows where they're scattered to. And He knows how He's going to bring them home. He knows, he knows His people. 
as it's speaking concerning the Jews here. He knows His people. He knows where they're at. And they're, they're not lost to Him. They're not lost to Him. And by the way, those ten tribes that are lost are not the Mormons. That's, that's not them, you see. Uh, and what they, they tried to claim. And so these 12 tribes, James is writing to them, and he says those that are scattered abroad because of these persecutions that was brought against them, he says, greeting. Verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall in the divers temptations. Count it all joy when you fall in the diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer before we continue on now. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for this day. Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your goodness to us. We thank You that You've allowed us this another hour that we can come into Your house together to meet together with Your saints. Father, we're so blessed uh, to be Your people. We're so blessed, Father, as You've poured out Your blessings upon us each and every day. Father, abundant blessings that even we cannot count. Father, we thank You so much for your watch care. We thank you, Father, for your provision. And we thank you for your love. Father, we love you. We thank you that you first loved us and brought to us your grace. And we pray that you'd help us to be found a faithful people to thy name. Help us to trust you in every situation of our lives, every trial, every tribulation, every blessing every joy, every trouble, that You would help us to trust You in these things. That we would look to You knowing that You are the One that is in control of our lives. And help us, Father, to hold fast to You. Help us to lean on You as we endure these times, as we go through these events of life. Father, forgive us of our many sins and our shortcomings ever draw us closer to You that we might be found faithful servants to Thy name. If there be any lost in our midst this morning, Father, we desire to see their souls saved. We desire to see them proclaim Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so we pray, Father, that You might reveal Yourself unto them, even this very hour, that they might be able to declare Christ Jesus as Lord. Go with us now as we look to Your words, as we look at this passage of Scripture. Give us understanding of these things, application for our own lives, that we would ever be found faithful, that we would ever be be found trusting you as we go through our lives. 
Go with us now, we pray. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. And for His sake. Amen. Count it all joy, He says. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. That's a strange thing. It's a strange thing. It's not normal. It's not natural for us to count it all joy when life gets hard. It's not natural for us to to rejoice even, as you'll go on to say, to rejoice in times of trouble. That's not how we approach life. That's not the normal thing. Naturally, when, when things come against us, when bad things arise, when tribulations, when distresses, when troubles come, we, we immediately begin to feel out of control uh, and we, we begin trying to gain control in the situation. We begin to feel anxiety and we feel stress and we feel like we're overwhelmed in the midst of those things and, and we begin to, to, to lose hope in what's going on in us and around us and we find ourselves crying out to the Lord not in thanksgiving but crying out to Him in despair Lord you're going to have to do something I can't handle this this is where we usually find ourselves but James says something crazy here he says something that's, that's, that's not normal. He says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. When ye fall into diverse temptations. Rejoice in trials and troubles. Acts chapter 5, hold your place here, we'll be right back. We go over here and look with me a couple of verses. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 41 and verse 42. Verse 40 with the give you the context here. This is the warning of Gamaliel to the high priest and to the council there that's hearing uh, these charges brought against Peter and the other disciples there with him and they said, you know what, this, this, this preaching these boys have been doing, it might be, it might be, Gamaliel warns, it might be of God. And so let's not be too hasty to discount it. And so they, they agreed with him, well, you might, you might be right, Gamaliel, so we'll just beat them real good to teach them a lesson. 
verse 40 it says, and to them they to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So Gamaliel says, it might be of God, we better be careful. And well, yeah, you're right, you're right. So let's just beat them and tell them they're not allowed to mention his name anymore. And they departed, listen, they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. They were beaten, told they could not name the name of Jesus any longer, and they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And daily, (laughs) in the temple, And in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They continued naming His name. But they rejoiced. They rejoiced in the beating that they took. They rejoiced in the persecution that they endured. Because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. Acts 16. Look with me there. Acts chapter 16. This is Paul and Silas here. And Paul and Silas, they are in Philippi. They are preaching... Uh, the Word of God, souls are saved. They couldn't handle that. This, this revival that's taking place here, and so they, they take Paul and Silas, they beat them, and they put them in the innermost part of the prison, and bind their feet in stocks. So here they are beaten placed in the innermost part of the prison, in stocks, chained up. And then these two rascals at midnight, it says in verse 25, and at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Midnight. Beaten. Probably too sore to go to sleep anyway. So they prayed and sang. Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Of course, a great many things happens immediately after this that are just astounding and wonderful to read of. But here, these, these two had endured this beating. They, they had endured this, this, this persecution that was brought against them. And what do they do? but pray and sing praises to the Lord loud enough that the prisoners heard them. Here in a few minutes, the prison doors are going to be shaken open and the stocks are going to fall off of the prisoners and not one of those prisoners goes anywhere because they heard Paul and Silas. They heard them. Now, both these instances, we have the children of God enduring persecution for the Lord and they are rejoicing 
at the persecution that was brought against them. This is, this is probably the reason for us that it's, it's so hard for us as the people of God in our day to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations is because we're too concerned about self than we are about honoring and praising the Lord. We can't see past me. And so when these problems arise, when these temptations come, when these trials and these tribulations arise in our life, we can't see past us. We're so focused on us. We can't see past us to praise the Lord. Go to... 2 Corinthians 12. This one I know is familiar to you as well. This is Paul describing his thorn in the flesh. And we don't know exactly what that thorn is, whether it was a sickness, whether it was uh, somebody else, somebody that was causing Paul problems, but whatever the case it was, whatever the trouble it was, it was causing Paul pain. And Paul prayed that the Lord would take that from him. Because it was keeping him from, from his perspective, it was keeping him from doing what he needed to do. It was keeping him from serving in the strength that he wanted to serve in. It was keeping him from, from doing what the Lord had given him to do comfortably. And Paul says here that he prayed the Lord thrice, verse number 8, that that thorn in the flesh might depart from him. He said it was given to him. This is, again, remarkable in in how Paul's attitude changed toward it. Because in verse 8, he says it it was given to him, that thorn in the flesh. It was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. A messenger of Satan sent to Buffy. And that's how he viewed it. He saw it as only trouble. He saw it as, as, as real tribulation in his life. And he prayed the Lord three times that it might depart from him. Verse 9, and he said unto me, this was the Lord's answer to Paul, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, Lord, remove it. And the Lord says, no. I'm not going to do that, Paul. Because I've, I've allowed that thorn in the flesh in your life to work in you. So I am using it to make you what I want you to be. My grace, he says, is sufficient. You don't need me to remove this. Rather, you just need my grace. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Now, Paul goes from seeing this as a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him, to this, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. But the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, verse 10, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. You know, the reality is, the reality is, you and I need to allow ourselves to be weak in ourselves. Now, for us men especially, that's not how our brains work. I mean, that just that goes against who we are naturally. And that just we we have to man up, or as uh, cowboy up, as some people we we have to we have to we have to man up and and grab ourselves by the bootstraps and 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 take charge and go and do and and work and make it happen. Finish the task. Gather strength to do it. But what we fail to realize is although that's what's natural to us, we ain't got no strength. We don't have any power. We're in the Lord's hands. We're in His hands. He is our power. He is our strength. And it it is Him that we are to be holding on to. It is Him that we are to be following. It is Him that we are to be trusting for the strength, for the power, for the doing. And so Paul says, he rejoices in the weakness because he says, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Well, how is that? That's an oxymoron. How how is it that that makes sense? Because when Paul is weak in himself, that is when the strength of Christ is shines most through Him. And so he says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Pleasure. Takes pleasure in those things. Now, 
It's not human to count it all joy. It's not human to rejoice. We have to we have to be able in the midst of those times to put self aside to put self aside and focus on our Lord because if we're focusing on the temptations if we're focusing on the reproaches, if we're focusing on the infirmities, if we're focusing on the persecutions, then, then we'll very easily get consumed in ourselves. And not only get consumed in ourselves, but when it comes to, when it comes to, to, to persecutions and when it comes to temptations, we very easily start to take up a martyr complex. And we'll go, go bragging about the tribulations and the trials that we're in and say, oh, look how I'm suffering for the Lord. And still make it all about us, you see. It's to be about our Lord. Our lives are to be about our Lord. Our our service is to be about our Lord. It's to be our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify Him in everything. In every part of our lives. It's to be about glorifying His name. Whether it be blessing and joy, or whether it be temptation and trial and weakness, it is to be about glorifying Him. About glorifying Him. Because, because, first of all, He's worthy of our glory. But secondly, He is sovereign in everything in our lives. In everything that comes before us, He is sovereign. In other words, it's in your life because He has allowed it to be in your life. It's in your life because He wanted it in your life. It's nice. It's nice to have the comfort of the Lord. It's nice... To enjoy a life of comfort in Him. And when we have those times of comfort, rejoice. But He never promised us a life of comfort. In fact, He promised us a life of tribulation. Of trouble. That's what He promised us. That that's exactly what we would endure. That's exactly what we would go through as His children. And Paul says, 
Gloria knows. James says, Gloria knows. Rejoice in them, he said. Verse number 3. How do we do that? James chapter 1, verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The trying of your faith worketh patience. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, down through verse number 5. Paul says here, not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Also knowing that tribulations worketh patience. And patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So he says that the, the trials that come our way... We can rejoice in those because those things, in fact he says glory in tribulations, because he says those things work in us patience. And patience, it it works experience in us. So we, we can, through that trial... As we work through that trial in patience with the Lord, we gain from that experience. We, we, we made it through. We got through a particular valley in life. We, we passed through that particular situation. We, we passed through that problem, that trial, that temptation. We passed through that. You see, the Lord carried us through and we got through that. Now that we have experienced it, and we get out on the other side of that particular trial, that experience works hope, because when we come to another valley, and there will always be another valley, when we come to another valley, we can look back on our experience that we've had before and say, look here how God got me through that one. Look how He got me through that one. Look how He got me through that one. Look how He worked here to accomplish that. Look how He worked there to accomplish that. He's going to get me through this one as well. And so no matter what the valley is, no matter how deep, no matter how dark, no matter how treacherous that valley might be, we can have faith and trust in our Lord as we pass through it, knowing that He is the one in control. He has allowed this in my life for a purpose to build me in Him, to make me more like His Son. And while He is building it in me, He's going to be right there with me. So that even though the valley is dark, even though the valley is deep, even though the path may be long, my Lord's right there in that darkness with Because He said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And yet, 
And yet those, those times, there's those, there's those instances when we're in those valleys when it seems like we are alone. But our Lord is ever with us. Call out to Him. Call out to Him. There is a reason for every trial, every trouble, every temptation, and yes, even every persecution that comes in our lives that God is working in us to make us what He would have us to be, to influence those around us that they might see the light of Christ in us. That He might accomplish in us His glory. That He might accomplish in those that witness us His glory. That in everything that comes in our lives, our Lord will be glorified. And so James says, rejoice. Rejoice. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, when we see someone enduring a trial, and we see them enduring a tribulation, as we discussed just a couple of weeks ago as we were looking at this reality concerning Concerning the, the chastening of the Lord that he speaks of there, Paul writes for us concerning of in, in Roman, or I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, when he speaks to the fact that, that God doesn't leave his children alone and that when we get out of the way and we start, we start following after sin and, and, and we get, get weak in him that he'll bring chastening in our lives to correct us and to direct us. And so when that chastening comes, we have to be careful that just because we see someone going through a particular trial, that we not start looking for the sin. Oh, I wonder what they did. Oh, I wonder what God's wonder what God punishing them for. Because it may have nothing to do with something they have done. It may just be the valley that the Lord has allowed in their lives to build them in Himself. And so we don't need to look at one enduring a particular trial and immediately, well, they must have been sinful in some way. They must have failed God in some way. Rather, it may be that their faith is stronger than yours and the Lord is building stronger faith in them. Verse 4, he says, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let patience, he says, have her perfect work. Let it work, Paul said, or James says, I should say. Let it work. God's put it in your life. 
And the purpose He's putting in your life is that it builds patience in you, that it builds experience in you, that it builds hope in you. Let it work. Trust Him. That as you go through, He's he's working. It's not going to be for naught when you get to the other side of it. He's working. He's building. Let it work. Let it work. Don't fight against it. Don't fight against His direction for your life. Let it work. Let it work that what God is accomplishing, what He is working, will be brought to pass without you struggling against it. Verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now, he, he, Paul mentions specifically wisdom here, but what we find concerning faith, what we find concerning faith, if you're supposed to be something, if God says to be this and you're not this, ask Him. Ask Him. And I believe wholeheartedly He'll give you that. Because His purpose for us, His will for us, is that we be what He's called us to be. And so here, I said Paul, James here uses the, the, the example of wisdom here. And, and, and the wisdom, the reason he's asking for wisdom here is that when we're enduring these things, we need God's wisdom to encourage us and strengthen us in this, knowing that, Lord, I need your wisdom because I know you're working in this. Give me your wisdom so I can see how you're working. Give me your wisdom so I know your presence with give me your wisdom to know, Father, that you you I'm just not suffering through this thing for naught, that you're working something in. But this goes for anything. This goes for anything that we are like that God, God says this is what you ought to be, and if we're not that or we're lacking in that, ask him for it. Ask him for it. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. If you're supposed to be it and you ain't, ask him. Ask him. And let him give it. Where do we get it from? James tells us there in verse number 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from our Father. It's from Him. Trust Him. God's answer again to Paul's inquiry was, My grace is sufficient for thee. 
My grace is sufficient for thee. God does not hold back His help. He gives it liberally, as He says there in verse 5, gives to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. Our problem is that when we face a trial, we often try to face it in our own strength. Or in our own sorrow. And never grab on to our Lord and say, Lord, I need you in this. And so we try to solve it in our power. But in the wisdom of God, He gives us all we need to face that trial that comes our way. He gives us the strength. He gives us the help. He gives us the wisdom. He gives us the patience. He gives all that we need that we are able to endure that particular trouble, that particular temptation, that through it we grow in Him And we bring Him glory by our lives. Trust Him. Trust Him. Have faith in Him. Because He has promised He works all things together for our good. He has promised that He would never leave us nor forsake us. So that matter, no matter how dark the path, our Lord is ever present. Trust Him. Trust Him. If you're trusting yourself, if you're trusting your own strength, if you're trusting your own ability, you'll find out really quickly that it runs out. That we don't have enough. But our Lord has all. He has all. Trust Him. Trust Him. Allow Him. Allow Him to make you weak. That you might be strong in Him. So that, so that, and even in the midst of our trials, even in the midst of our temptations, even in the midst of our tribulations that come in our lives, we can count it all joy. Count it all joy. It's not normal for this world. It's not normal for the natural man. But it is exactly what God wants from His people. Trust Him.
trust him. He is the only one with the strength. He is the only one with the power. He is the only one with the control. Trust him. With every part of your life, with every part of your being, trust the Lord. Trust Him. Let's all stand. Brother Gordon, would you bring us a song?